Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. So wherever God has allowed you to be, that's where he desires to use you. And so, yeah, uh, I was preaching somewhere recently and I said, you know, if you're a banker, bank it up in the name of Jesus. You know, if you're a plumber, you know, um, plumb to the glory of God, you know, just um, so the first thing I would say is don't assume that there's a higher position if you put on the title pastor or get on the church staff. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, you doing well today? Doing well, man. Awesome. Looking good in your polo today, Chandler. Hey, I'm trying to look good. But not as good as you, man. You do most of the day. Hey, we're excited to talk with Ron Edmondson today, who is the CEO of Leadership Network, a former pastor and author of the book, The Mythical Leader, which is a fantastic book, by the way. You guys should actually just stop listening to the podcast right now, buy the book, and then hit play (laughs) again on the podcast. But Ron, we're happy to have you on today. How are you doing, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, You you guys are rock stars with the new podcast and... um, just you're rock stars anyway. So it's just great to be with you. (laughs) I've just been looking for that affirmation for a long time being in Nashville now. So, well, there it is. Well, Ron, I know you're in Dallas right now. Is it coming off the end of summer, but it's still extremely hot down there, right? It is hot here. You know, they're uh, bragging this morning that the, we we have a cool wave coming in. It's only going to be 97 today. So yeah, it's, um, (laughs) I feel feel like it's warm here. And then I I remind myself, you know, it it could be hotter. So I am thankful. I mean, it was, it was 97 here and that was the hot spell. So. Yeah. Well, we kind of get the mix between, you know, I'm from that area, so I I get what you're experiencing, but we kind of get the the blend between, if you imagine Nashville and then, um, or or even Atlanta in some cases, and then Phoenix. So we're kind of in between. So we have, uh, we have the days where it feels like you just uh, have a, a hairdryer on you, you know, <laughs> uh, and then we also, but we also have a, a, a fair amount of humidity too. So we get a little bit of that, but it's, it's good. We're, uh, we're here and enjoying it while we're here. Well, that's awesome. We're so excited to have you on the podcast and hear about your story. So let's go ahead and hop into the first question here. And with that, can you just walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that led you to where you are today with leadership network? You know, it, it, I have a just a long leadership uh, story. Uh, I've always had a desire to lead and not necessarily to be the leader, but uh, if, if no one's stepping up, I, I'm going to step in just because, um, uh, and it's probably the cynical side of me or the side of me that's never satisfied with anything. It's just, you know, we can do this better. We can go somewhere new. We can figure something out. And so there's always been that inner desire in me. Uh, and, uh, you know, so in high school, I was student government president every year in, of the school and that sort of thing. And then in college, I was a college sophomore and the, uh, working full time to go to, to go to college. And, uh, my, I worked in a retail department store and the department manager over uh, my area quit suddenly. And I was the default guy. So, uh, they put me in that position at 19 or 20 years old leading a department and it was trial by fire to be honest. And, 
at the same time, our, our department store was very um, involved in our community. And there wasn't a lot of people with interest in, in, in the community. Um, and so our store manager tapped me and said, look, you know, we'll, we'll get you involved. So he put me involved in the Red Cross and the United Way and Boy Scouts and Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And I'm suddenly, you know, this young 20 something serving on boards. And uh, it, so it's just it was really a fast track to some really cool opportunities and um, led me to um, uh, numerous retail ass assignments in the in the store in the store and then, um, you know, recognizing retail wasn't great for family life. I went out uh, and started a, uh, a business and we had a couple of businesses that we owned and run and ran and, and then, um, uh, ran for public office and held public office for a while. Um, that's cool. I did not know that. That's yeah. Awesome. And so, um, and then, you know, for some, it was, very much a long story and, and miraculous story of God calling me into vocational ministry and never thought I would see myself as a pastor, but because I had that kind of entrepreneurial leadership bent, I just landed in, in senior pastor roles and served in four churches, uh, in that time. And, um, two church plants, two church revitalizations. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I was 38 when I went and became a pastor. And so uh, the leadership network came along. I was not looking. I was not thinking. I mean, at that point, we felt like we were settling in for the long haul into our um, uh, into our role there as a pastor in Lexington, Kentucky. And this this role came along and it made some sense in, in terms of my background with business uh, and even government and some of that type stuff, but also with, uh, you know, my love for the local church. And, and, uh, so here we are and, uh, you know, one year in and still feel like I'm learning more than I'm able to contribute, but, um, uh, but this is a new season. Yeah. And Ron, I love so much of your story of how God used you in many different areas. And then <clears throat> later on in life is when you felt like you were called into, full-time vocational ministry. So kind of a follow-up question I want to ask on this is you've been in both, you've, you've walked both paths. So what would you say to, to a young leader who is, is maybe working outside of the church, but is of course feeling the call to lead? What would you tell them to how to lead in the church without being on staff? What is some advice you would give to someone of, here's how you can lead in your local church without having to be paid by the church? That's a great question. And honestly, it's one we're addressing at Leadership Network in the future, because um, that the first thing I would say is uh, there's nothing wrong with you where you're at. Um, you're not less of a value to the kingdom because you don't have a title uh, pastor in front of your uh, in, in front of your title. Um, and, and so wherever God has allowed you to be, that's where he desires to use you. And so, yeah, uh, I was preaching somewhere recently and I said, you know, if you're a banker, bank it up in the name of Jesus, you know, if you're a plumber, you know, um, plumb to the <laughs> glory of God, you know, just, um, so the first thing I would say is don't assume that there's a higher position if you put on the title pastor or get on the church staff 
what you guys do at Lifeway is just as important for the kingdom as what I do at uh, as what I did as a pastor. Uh, but even if you were not for a Christian ministry, you know, um, your position in that secular place is just as important. So that, I think that's the first understanding because I, I feel like there's this this uh, and I know I had it. I just resisted it for so long that I, I would say, no, pastor, that's your job. My job is running this company. My job is, is in this government. And what I, I wish I had done then was um, allowed my faith to intersect more with my workplace. And, and so, um, uh, so that would be the first thing I'd say. You know, the second thing, wanting to make a difference in the church, and one of the things we want to help pastors understand is if I've got a channel, I've got a Josh sitting in my church who has skills like you do with, even with this podcast, I want to reach out and put you to work for the church. Okay. Well, how are we going to use you? Hmm. Uh, Chandler, I saw something on social media where you were teaching from for small groups or something in your church. Yeah, of course you should, because <laughs> you're doing that every day and you're, you're an expert in that. So, you know, um, examine what God has allowed you to have in the church. And then, I mean, in your career, and then how does that relate to the church that, that you're in? And, you know, in a respectful way, offer that up. You know, if, if, um, if you've got certain skill sets that the, the church could use, raise your hand and, and volunteer. Now they're, they're, you're going to get slapped down a lot of times, unfortunately. Um, and, but hopefully, hopefully you run across a pastor who says, who sees the value in the priesthood of the believers and is willing to, to put you in the game. And, um, and unfortunately, you know, serve where you, you're needed also. Uh, and I would say that, but unfortunately we, we have, um, our founder, Bob Buford said the latent energy in the church he always talked about to find that latent energy. And one of the latent energies is empowering people who are sitting in the pews mm. to do what God has gifted them to do. That's good. So uh, I don't know if I've asked, answered your question on that, uh, but it's a no, passion of mine uh, that, I, that I'm super excited about. I love that you said that. Uh, follow up question before we get to the second question here, but it, you might've slightly dipped into it a little bit to answer it. But if you are a young leader at a church, and you're wanting to give the church some of your gifts that you've been given by the Lord to use in the local church, no matter what that is, but they're not giving you opportunity or maybe another way, this is probably the more polite way to say it, that there's not enough opportunity to go around. What do you do if you're not able to have that? You were talking about maybe getting slapped down a little bit. How do you respond to that as a young leader? Well, um, I think it's going through that. I think respect is, is key. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do think, um, uh, you, you need to come to the table with with a, a measure of respect always. It's a biblical principle. It's also a wise principle. Um, and and you know I hate even giving this advice, but I'll give it because it was it was what happened to me. Um, I'm using the story frequently of of some ideas I had when I was a young twenty something leader in the church. I was serving on a city council uh, at the time and. And it involved so much in the community. And I had some really, I thought they were great ideas for the church. And I did, I did not receive an audience for it. So mm. I ended up serving outside the local church more than I served in the local church at that season of my life. 
that's okay. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you're doing uh, good. And, and, uh, but I wasn't necessarily advancing the kingdom. So I was serving United Way, but I wasn't sharing my faith through that. I wish someone had helped me connect those. But, you know, the bottom line, and and here's, and I'm kind of a bottom line kind of guy, you have three options uh, in those situations. You can live with it. And, you know, that's frankly what a lot of us do. You can lead through it. And you may or may not be successful at that because chances are the, the, the leadership of the church has more power than you do. Or you can find a place that recognizes your, your needs and talents and, and wants to you know, utilize those. Uh, again, I hate giving that advice because I'd never tell somebody to leave your church necessarily. Sure. But at the same time, uh, you know, finding that niche where your passion can be laid out, don't, don't ignore that. Because um, that's likely something God given there that he wants to, to utilize for his kingdom. And so, um, you know, find the, find the place where that, that can happen. Yeah, for, for young leaders listening, there probably are a lot of young leaders going through this problem right now. And, yeah. and take heart, don't be discouraged, serve faithfully where you've been given to serve. But think that there's three different, three different excuse me, bottom line um, statements that Ron just made really helpful. Next question, Ron. Can you tell us about a pivotal moment that you look back on that changed your leadership and life? Well, I can think of a lot of them. I'm 55, so I've had um, a bunch of pivotal moments in my life. But in leadership, the one that comes to mind first is when I was owning a business. Uh, We owned two businesses, one very successful, one not so successful. And we chased it for five years. And, uh, and, and I look back on that and see a lot of things I did wrong in that process. And, but what it did for me is not much scares me now. You know, it was, uh, uh, now I'm, uh, I've been willing to step out at 38 and enter the vocational ministry and leave a successful church plant and go to a, to, to revitalize an old historic church. Uh, step into a new role here. And I don't know that I would have taken those risks had I not seen God be so incredibly faithful to me uh, during those five years of of leading that business. And, you know, we were able to uh, make payroll every week, even though I was waiting by the, the mailbox to see if a check was there many times. And, uh, you know, God was just incredibly faithful and, uh, you know, I, I'll uh, never forget when our youngest son went away to college, he wrote a uh, letter or something. He said one of the things that had shaped him for college was he used to sneak in and watch me in my quiet time. And I'd be on my knees crying out to God just to change the situation, you know. And so it was that season probably uh, helped uh, shape me as a person, as a, as a, as a son of God and as a leader, as much as anything. I love that. And just hearing that story of your son, it's just a reminder that yeah. somebody's always watching. <laughs> you might've have not have had a clue there, but he was watching it and it made an impact on him. So as that's a great reminder. Well, moving on to the next question, what was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? Well, I, I, um, I actually have a chapter about it in my book. It, it was assuming that the position gave me the respect that, that I thought I deserved. And um, mm. uh, we, um, I tell the story in the, in the book, we, I was this new department manager and we had these things called Moonlight Madness sales that were um, 
you tape up the windows of the department store and close for a couple hours, mark everything down, and then just the whole world floods in and buys everything. Biggest, and they were huge back in the day. And um, I had scheduled heavy for my department, and I had uh, three people that didn't show up that night and didn't, you know, it was before texting and all that, and they just didn't show up. And I, I ran into um, a couple of them afterwards and just asked them, I said, well, I had a test or I had, you know, I had all college students working for me and, and, uh, and they, it just didn't matter. And I'm like, but dude, I, I, I'm your boss, you know? Well, it didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> this is your job. <laughs> it, it just didn't matter. Uh, and, and the, the other side of that is, um, is that to assume that other people care about whatever it is as much as I do. You know, as the as a senior leader, there's always going to be a certain weight that you carry that no one can understand until they sit where you sit and and expecting them to is probably unrealistic. So, you know, if if uh, if, if somebody's going to lose sleep over the, over the bank account, it, it, the, the CFO is going to do that some. But ultimately, they're going to they're going to push that my way, you know. And, um, and so you just can't expect people to own your world as much as you own it. What's your gauge uh, when, when leading organization, leading people, what's your gauge to, to know if they're bought in and they're caring about maybe this idea or this vision as much as you are to, to get them to the point where, where they care about it as much as you do? Well, I, I've never figured out very well how to get that into somebody. You know, I can vision cast, I can, uh, I can share the why before you share the why. That's all those principles. Threat, are not, threaten them. Yeah. You can threaten them. <laughs> threaten that's right. You can do all those things. Yeah. You can give them more money. You can do all that. But there's something intrinsic in, in people that, that you can't invent or you can't, you can't do. But you know, it, it's almost like, um, both of you are married, you know, when you walk in the door at the end of the day, what kind of day it's been when you meet your wife, you know, you, there's, there's something about, um, uh, the people on your team, you know, who's bought in and who's not, you know, when, when, uh, when there are people and they are sharing ideas that you didn't even ask for, they're, they're volunteering for something that they didn't, uh, they weren't asked to do They're they're, uh, they're looking for ways to sit at the table. We were talking about that earlier and find, um, you can just tell when somebody's bought in or not. And, um, if, if people, I always knew as a pastor and I'm afraid there may be some people from our last churches watching this or listening to this, but, but I always knew, you know, if, if you're my, my door of my office at our last church was we're all at the employee entrance. So I had a win, um, uh, I had a window out my office that I could see where everybody came in and went. And when you see people and it is, you're supposed to be there at nine and they're walking in at nine or nine Oh one, and they're supposed to get off at five and they, they're walking out at four fifty nine or five. And that's every single day. There's nothing wrong with that, but it tells you something when somebody walks in at five with an idea and, and I'm, yeah, guys, I'm heavy, heavy, heavy handed on protecting family and putting family first and all that sort of stuff. But, um, mm-hmm. 
you can just tell the person who shows up and wants to do more. You know, they, they want to contribute at a higher level. Uh, I would say the fact that you two guys, you don't have to do this podcast. Likely it's not making you do that or anything, but you're, you're looking to do more. And uh, those are the, those are the kind of, kind of people that are bought into the vision. That's really, really good. Um, I've experienced in the past when I was younger, wanting to be, wanting to do more, wanting to be more bought in, not definitely not here at Lifeway. They've been really, really gracious, but feeling like I got the stiff arm a little bit as a young leader. Yeah. And it's not a great feeling because I, it, you know, some of it could have been personal ambition, but just, and I was ambitious and I wanted to, I don't want personal ambition, but I'll just wanted to give back and be a part of more. So young leaders, if you're leading people, I love the terminology that you used, Ron. I want to highlight it, looking for a seat at the table. We don't always get a seat at the table, but we should always be looking for a seat at the table in a humble way. And if you have people that are doing that, that's like that's a really, really bright, shining spot on your team that you want to invest in and lean into. And don't just let that pass you by. Yeah, Absolutely. Don't keep shutting it down. Ron, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? This is going to sound overly spiritual, uh, but I wish someone going to say the Bible. Yeah, the Bible, because I, I just wish yeah. someone had given. Does everybody say that? You're uh, the first. Uh, OK, well, there's so many great stories of leadership there that I really never read in that way. And I wish someone had given me permission to see the Bible for its great leadership stories. Uh, David was a tremendous leader. Um, you know, the, some of the principles Moses learned. So it does sound over spiritual, but the older I've gotten and the more I, I lead, uh, I keep reading the Bible and seeing the leadership principles in there. Uh, but if you want a secular book, I would have probably recommended um, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's classic, but it is so valuable. Uh, it's all about relationships. Leadership is all about relationships. Yeah, I actually just finished, uh, I listened to to that book. And it, when I told people I was listening to it, I was like, I promise you it's not it's not as the way it sounds. It's more of a relational book. Um, at first, that yeah. title can probably come off uh, as, oh, you're just wanting to influence people. But I really do think it's a helpful book. And it's, and Ron, it was written, what, back in the 30s and 40s? Is that right? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely long-standing relational truths. One thing I do want to go back on, Ron, is is kind of some of the leadership stories in the Bible. And I don't think that's over-spiritualized at all. Um, I think I really do appreciate you saying that. I would love to hear, like, what's what's one story lately that God has kind of placed on you that you've been kind of thinking about, um, about leadership? Well, um, the, the when you said a recent one, uh, I've got a recent one, but I've got one that there's so many stories of David. In fact, if, uh, um, if I write another book, I may write the, the leadership principles of David or something like that. There's, there's just so many stories there. First Samuel 23 is one of my favorites and just the first five verses. Mm -hmm. I won't even unpack that. I'll just, I'll just throw that out of just how he led his people into a time of unknown. And yet he, he continued to look to God but then inquire of his people. And I, and I love that, uh, that he did both. He didn't just say, okay, God said, do this. He, um, he went back to his people. I think that's powerful, but you know, there's one that has just literally hit me. And I shared it with a young leader yesterday who's stepping into a huge unknown, uh, in ministry. And, and, uh, and I love the faith that this young man is, 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 um, entering with, but, 
I'm in a new season too, where I'm trying to reimagine an organization and figure out what's next for us and figure out our business model, all that sort of stuff. And, and, you, you know, uh, as a pastor, I was always very honest with our, our congregation that I struggle just like they do. Uh, and I reminded, um, this young, uh, this young leader yesterday, you know, in Matthew, I love, I've, I've just been reading through Matthew again. And I love how, um, the, the feeding of the 5,000 and the disciples said, okay, where are we going to get bread is one chapter before the feeding of the 4,000 and they did it again. <laughs> you know, I mean, c- come on guys, we just got one chapter here. And I realized there were time yeah. in between that. But uh, the other one that hit me in Matthew 17 is um, when Jesus, they, they came to Jesus and they wanted to know, are you going to pay your taxes? And, uh, you know, I've always said as, as, a, as a leader, and, and especially in, in this deals more with the financial world and that sort of thing, which is a huge part of any ministry and any leadership for that matter, that, you know, my God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and he can go sell some cattle. And that's a great story. And that's so true. But in Matthew 17, Jesus said, go down to the sea, cast it, uh, catch a fish, open the fish and go find some money in there, pay the taxes with that. You know? And it was such a huge reminder to me that if God calls you into something, he's going to equip you for it. You know, he, he's going to provide the resources. They don't always come when you want them to. They don't always come how you want them to. But he, he's going to equip. And it was just a real comfort to me in leadership that, that, that God has this and he's in control. I appreciate that, Ron. It, especially with <laughs> the what the that story shows is you might think it's going to come from this way, but God's wanting to work in a completely different way. And it's just yeah. to trust him. So good. really appreciate that. Well, I know you've mentioned your book uh, already a little bit. and It's called The Mythical Leader, The Seven Myths of Leadership. It's a great book. Really, if you're listening, go and check it out. Which of these seven myths do you feel is the biggest hindrance for young leaders? I would have to say if, um, if I'm not hearing anyone complain, everyone must be happy. Hmm. Um, I've learned that so many times. It's... it's all of those principles came out of life experience. And, uh, but I have been guilty of that so many times, even coming here, having been in leadership literally over 40 years and, and doing, um, uh, and doing it again, where you get so busy with activity and no one's really saying anything, but you haven't checked the pulse of your people enough to see what's really going on. And so you, you just assume, well, you didn't say anything. So assumed everything was okay. That's dangerous in a marriage. It's dangerous in friendships. It's dangerous in parenting. And it's really dangerous in leadership. Uh, great leaders are experts at asking questions and, and really discipline their self, uh, themselves to do that. Um, one of the reasons that I have, and, and a lot of my pastor friends don't agree with this, but I have always read anonymous notes. Uh, I don't throw them away. Hmm. Um, you know, I used to have, you know, the crazy thing, I used to have people that would make up email addresses to send me a, an email <laughs> and then email it back and it, you know, it doesn't work anymore. But, um, wow. it, there was, and, and that's all part of church revitalization. That's a whole other podcast right there. But it, it, um, it was always a reminder to me, maybe there's something in me that kept them from sharing what was really going on. 
and a uh, way I've responded in the past, a way I've reacted, a way, a way they perceive me to be that they don't even know. And, and so, um, I think just assuming everybody's okay is not okay. Hmm. Uh, it's, um, uh, making sure you're really testing the pulse of the organization, especially in times of, of, uh, transition and change. Yeah. Sometimes that silence is more of the calm before the storm, you know, <laughs> yeah. as a leader, like everything feels great. Everything's going so well. And my staff is happy. And but then you I'll, just wait. Oh yeah. Just wait. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's coming. And, uh, well, that's great. Thanks for that. Now that you're uh, older and hopefully more wiser, Ron, uh, more mature, looking back, what are some of the qualities that you wish you had had as a younger leader? Uh, can I share four real quick? I'll go through yeah, them real absolutely. quick. Absolutely, please. Uh, one, one is tenacity. Uh, the win is is often just around the corner if you can stick it out. Um, two is purpose. Sometimes we fight hardest for the wrong things. And, uh, you know, why are you there? Why has God called you there? So understand your purpose. Uh, I wasn't called here to, you know, one of the things I, 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 I used to do in church all the time when somebody would try to bring me into an argument is I would say, look, I, that, one, that God didn't call me here to, to, um, to navigate discussions over carpet. That's not what he did, you know, <laughs> uh, or color of the room. I mean, I just, I, I never received that call. It may be somebody else's call, but it's not my call. But uh, so what's your purpose? Uh, humility. Um, it, it's, is the third one. It's, it's okay not to know. Uh, I wish I had been quicker to admit when I didn't know something and, and ask for help and got and solicited it and said, look, I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth one is, is just patience. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's still one of my weakest. If my wife heard that today, she would, you know, she'll be laughing when she hears this, but <laughs> the tortoise, the tortoise really does often beat the hair because it's a long run. And, uh, I wish I'd have done that. I wish I'd have had that approach more in my career and in my finances and my relationships and even my trust with God that we're in this for a, a long season. Uh, and I need to be patient with where I am today. I really, I'm learning kind of on the humility piece. I love what you said is just being willing to admit that you don't know. And it's just, rather than try to explain ourselves after the fact, just say it up front and say, I don't know, let's find out together. Yeah. And I think that is a piece that, um, the Lord's working on my life, but just for even for the young leaders, it is okay. It is, does not discredit you to say, I do not know. It is a humble posture to have. So it's great advice, Ron. Well, now let's move to the quick hitters here. There's gonna be short one minute answers. The first one is this, what is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? I usually get up about 6 a.m. I haven't uh, set an alarm clock in many, many, many years. And so I just wake up when I wake up. I study for about an hour um, Bible study and prayer and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and that's a combination of a lot of different things that I adapt over time. Uh, and you, you said ideal. So ideally, my wife and I would then walk for an hour. Um, I would answer some emails. I'd be in the office by nine. Um, I don't like to come in the office before that if I can. And part of that's in Dallas and traffic. 
then I work till four or five. I've already, you know, I work through lunch most of the time. I answer emails uh, throughout the, the night and that sort of thing. So I don't work much past four or five in the office. I hit the gym on the way home. If I haven't already done that, many times I'll slip away for an hour or so and, and hit the gym in our office building. And then um, I get home, cook dinner for my wife and I. I'm, I'm the cook. And then sometimes we walk again at night and in bed by 10. So that's a, that's a, that's the perfect day. You know, I found myself eating through lunch almost, or we're eating through, <laughs> of course it's eating through lunch. Yeah. So yeah, we eat more at lunch, working through lunch often. And I haven't found out if that's a good thing or a bad thing for me yet. Have you, has it helped you be more productive? Do you feel like, does it keep you focused? It like, why do you work through lunch? The only time I don't is if I have a lunch meeting. Otherwise, I'm just going to work through it. If I want to grab something, I'll grab something. For me, it's it's about, um, the, you know, I'm zeroing in from, say, nine to four, and four would be ide- ideal. I'm zeroing in on that time and, and buckling down. But I want, to, I want my time in my morning to be mine. I want my time in the evening and afternoon to be mine. And so the sooner I can get the work done, the sooner I can enjoy time. Uh, I am a, as I said earlier, huge advocate for when you're off, you're off and, and enjoy that family time and be intentional with that. And so, um, working through lunch get, is it's, it's a, and sometimes it's exercise through lunch. That's okay too. Uh, and in the process I can answer emails and stuff even while I'm doing that. But, uh, it, for me, it's a discipline that allows me to enjoy the other parts of my life. That's good. Ron, what's your favorite personality test? Uh, Myers-Briggs simply because I'm certified in it and, and know it so well. Uh, I'm an INTJ, and uh, but I'm an Enneagram 3. I know you guys would probably want to know that, and your younger audience would. Yeah. So, <laughs> high D on the disc. That's good. I'm a high D on the disc. What's, your, what's the There's second not one, one on the disc for you? Just <laughs> <laughs> that, that, uh, 99%. That is exactly right. It's not, it, it, and the others aren't even, don't even show up. The, uh, the first time I took the disc, the guy that did it said, I'm not going to get in your way. I said, <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I'm not even going to tell you. Anything. I will learn yeah. from him then. I will not get in your way either, Ron. I'm a eight wing seven on the Enneagram, but I'm an ENTJ. What are, are you an, ENT, an ENTJ? As well. ENTJ as well. What are what would be your highlight of an ENTJ, Ron? Being certified uh, in Briggs. My highlight. Yeah, if you're given oh, a description yeah, of the, an ENTJ. You know, uh, very creative leaders. Uh, you 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 move things forward, but you're not locked into um, to a certain way of doing things. So you like change. You like activity. You like uh, new, but you're going to get things done, make things happen. So I love ENTJs. I wish I was an ENTJ. I secretly want to be an ENTJ. <laughs> well, I'm an INTJ. Yeah. I would love to hear. Yeah, exactly. So you're an INTJ. What would you say the difference between those two are? Because so they're, they're, very they're close. so close, and, but yeah, and everything I said difference. was, uh, was that, uh, about the ENTJ is true about the INTJ. The difference is, you will more likely take initiative, uh, and I, and I want. So sometimes, you know, if we're in a crowded room and there's somebody across the room that I'd really like to meet, it, I have to be on my game to go over and make that introduction. Uh, it has to be intentional for me. That makes sense. Where for you is, hey, it's a new relationship. Yeah. Let's make it. 
So uh, it, it's, it's a labor for me to do that. I get the strategy part and I often do it, usually do it, but it, it's work. That's really helpful. Uh, the Enneagram is really popular right now, but for those listening, Myers-Briggs really is a helpful personality test and there is a ton and ton to read on it and lots of free tests online. It's I've really enjoyed it the yep. times that I've taken it. Yep. Well, Ron, what is an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? I would say pretending not to know or have an opinion about something. Um, you know, I will sometimes have an answer. Uh, I always have an opinion, but by discipline, I don't share it until everyone else has had an opportunity to. And it just allows some of the best answers to come forward because as soon as a senior leader puts something on the table, you don't uh, you, either, you don't know whether you can share yours if it's too far off from that, or you don't know if you can push back. You, it just, so it's just easier if I'm just quiet and don't have an answer or an opinion as long as I can. That's really good. What is your favorite app on your phone? Well, I said Bible earlier, so I got to say you version, right? And, uh, and <laughs> there you some go. of those people are, um, and, uh, I could also say American, uh, airlines or Uber cause I use them a lot, but I would say, <laughs> um, LinkedIn, uh, simply because I love the news features that the highlights of the day, every day, I get a kind of a rundown on key issues. And then, you know, you get connections with, with people without as much what someone ate for lunch or their politics, you know? So, um, <laughs> so I like, I like LinkedIn. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? This one's going to seem strange, but, uh, it's called goal analysis, how to clarify your goals so you can actually achieve them. Um, I'm starting my dissertation process right now for my doctorate because I don't have anything else to do. And, um, <laughs> and that was actually assigned and, and you don't normally recommend books that were assigned for a doctoral class, but this one's easy to read and, and just a really well laid out, not a lot of stuff I didn't know already, but helping me think through, okay, setting good goals that, that are achievable. That's great. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into their going into leadership for the very first time? Well, one sentence, you know, I wrote a whole book, right? Um, um, (laughs) It's hard. You You can just read that right now. Yeah. Just, (laughs) you know, I, I think I would say that to remember on days when you can't seem to that you, cause we're talking to young leaders. So remember on days when you can't seem to, that you probably have what it takes or you wouldn't have been given the authority you've been given and God wouldn't have called you to it. Um, you know, I think the, probably one of the biggest things we struggle with as, as leaders is self doubt and just, you know, questioning our ability and allowing the enemy to, to beat us up. And, uh, and, and I would just say, as God said to Gideon, go in the strength you have, don't try to be any, Else, just be you. I think of uh, Colossians three, three two or three three. But set your mind on things that are above, yeah. not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That that verse has given me a lot of confidence as a leader, and not not even confidence in myself because that's when I start losing confidence when I try to place it in myself. But when I place it into the Lord and things that are above and not below, it really does a it's a really healthy change of perspective. That's good. Well, Ron. 
Ron, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. And thank you for listening today. If you found this helpful, go on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so that other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. We'll see you next week. See you.